Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Date in a Blink, where we're joined by Elizabeth Dell, a trained sex educator and founder of Amorous. Modern dating sucks, but it doesn't have to. Here on the Date in a Blink podcast, you'll listen in on 10-minute voice-only speed dates between strangers. The experience is designed to move people beyond mindless swiping and marathon messaging. Our position on online dating? It's time to stop collecting pen pals and start, oh, I don't know, going on actual dates. Online dating? That actually involves dating? Is that even a thing anymore? But for real, dating should be fun. We hope listening in inspires y'all to try new ways of meeting people. Tune in every other week to hear a new couple go on a date. In between, we'll talk to relationship experts about how the date went and what we can learn from it. Will our handpicked podcast matches find love on these blank dates? Or will they say goodbye to each other after 10 minutes and never look back? Tune in to find out. Before we jump into today's episode, here's a quick word from our sponsors. Today on Date in a Blink, we are thrilled to be joined by Elizabeth Dell, a trained sex educator with a master's in public health from UC Berkeley. She was previously a film producer, producing multiple indie features, including Destination Wedding, starring Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves. Amaris brings together her career of storytelling and her lifetime interest in sexuality to help partners everywhere tell each other the most delicious stories. With that being said, Elizabeth, welcome. We are so happy to have you on today. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. So Amorous is an app for couples that make their communication more, to use the word from the website, delicious. And I love that term in this context. Could you give us a rundown of what it means to make couples and their conversations more delicious and how Amorous helps them achieve that? Yeah. So for me, Amorous was built from actually was inspired at the beginning of the pandemic from going into lockdown without my partner in cohabitating with me and having to do all of that romance and play and intimacy on my phone and thinking, oh, well, I'll just like get an app for that. You know, I have an app for everything else. I'm sure this will be great. Only to discover that there wasn't really anything that would help me connect, help me get ideas for what to talk about, help me feel safe and private, help me feel connected to my partner. And so I decided I would go build it. And so Amorous is a relationship, intimacy, and romance app. At its core, it's messaging because honestly, the person you want to talk to is your person. But built around that is a whole suite of games, of security and privacy provisions, of all of the tools that you need to be able to do that on your phone in a way that feels really, really good. And to do that from a place of like, hey, let's discover shared desires. Let's start sexy new conversations. Let's be delicious and have so much fun together. So I have a question and forgive me if the answer should be obvious, but for all the listeners who don't yet know, um, is now that we're in this world where we're kind of still virtual, but still we're coming back into that in real life experience, does Amorous, is, is it able to support kind of um, people exploring how to make their relationships more delicious in both contexts? Absolutely. I mean, we just because we're in the real world now, which is amazing doesn't mean we have stopped using our phones, right? Sure. It is a combination. What are you talking of- about? I threw mine out. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, we have everything from people using Amorous so that there's, hey, while well, I'm out in the course of my day, I get a cool, fun ping from my person and go, ah, oh, they love me. And listen, people have asked me, like, can't I do that on SMS text? And I'm like, yes, you can. But when I look down at that, 
I don't immediately know it's fun and sexy and playful and caring because that might be about how I forgot to do the laundry Mm -hmm. or that might be about like, hey, can you pick up milk? Like I don't anticipate. I don't get excited necessarily when I see an SMS text from my partner because most of the time that's logistics. But when you've got Amorous, you know, even before you open it, oh, they're thinking about me because they sent me an Amorous message. Also, all of our tools and especially our games are designed to be things that you can take into the real world. So Mm -hmm. our sexy conversation starters, start a conversation about what smell turns you on and then go get that Yankee candle. Um, (laughs) Or, you know, have we have a game called Fantasy Swipe, which is all about matching desires with your partner. So you can swipe desires you want yes and no they do the same and your matches are revealed so if you guys just learned that librarian student happens to be a fantasy for both of you (laughs) hey maybe that's what saturday night's gonna be about (laughs) i love this so much and it, it really kind of um calls out how space is so important and how creating a space for these sorts of conversations can make them feel a lot more natural. And I think just thinking kind of more broadly, like being vulnerable, especially when it comes to sexuality, usually requires, uh, like you said, like a sense of comfort and safety. And I'm wondering if you could actually share some thoughts about how you think online spaces generally present some challenges for the creation of that comfort and safety. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's it's sort of understandable how it happened, but for the average dating app, their incentives are entirely misaligned with kind of comfort and safety. Like they, their incentives are to give you a really big pool of people, which mm-hmm. I understand why that's really important, but they don't want to do anything that's going to make people not want to be there. And something like, hey, we will have uh, standards for your behavior make some people not want to be there. And so what we don't have is ways to like enforce appropriate behaviors. A lot of times it incentivizes people to play the game of a dating app, but not actually with the goal of a connection Mm -hmm. because if you connect, then you stop playing. Um, (laughs) Which is really like to, to think about it is that it's a matching app. So it's not actually meant for the development of the connection. It's meant to just match you with people based on, you know, a profile. And when you're doing that, you don't have the kinds of, you know, I mean, with an Uber, we have ratings of drivers and of passengers because Mm -hmm. people are like, I don't want to get in a car with someone who doesn't have, who I do not trust to have their, you know, commonsensical good behavior on. But Mm -hmm. we don't have metrics like that in a dating app you can't look on a tinder person and be like hey this person has never been red flagged or this person's been red flagged a dozen times you know let's be careful about what conversation we're having with them and and so it incentivizes people to not worry about good behavior which is an unfortunate side effect Mm -hmm. and i'm wondering on the flip side of it do you think that online spaces have offered additional opportunities for comfort and safety I think it's a blend, you know, in there are lots of spaces like sexuality in where the societal desires or like societal's prevalent decision making 
That's a terrible way to say that. Um, (laughs) Society's rules and regulations are really restrictive and really sex negative. And Mm -hmm. so finding spaces, whether those are because you're anonymous or because you've restricted the group to only people who are in tribe or interested, you can find a lot of safety online. Mm -hmm. If you're a trans kid in Kansas, there is so much more safety to be found online than off but that does not mean that there are not spaces online that can also be completely terrible and so it's finding that balance of how do you create spaces that have standards of good behavior but maybe not standards of restrictive sex negative behavior that's a thing that I think about all the time yeah well I appreciate that you're making a space like that so it's really awesome. Yeah. And I think everybody, you know, we're thinking about it in different ways. You're making a space to meet people with a lot of that. I'm making a space to create that with the person that you've met. So yeah. how do you feel confident that if you share something, you can always take it back? How do you make, you know, feel confident that being unamorous is not something that other people will see and judge you for because you will only exist to the one or two or actually to be fair however many one-on-one partners you want to invite if you're ethically non-monogamous but but you only exist in relation directly to that other person there is no one who can go see you on amorous and decide that they're going to judge what you're doing right yeah and this is an incredibly Uh, apropos segue for one of the things that we saw in a previous interview that you did was you mentioned that there was a survey where people were asked about their hesitancies regarding sexual communication. And surprisingly, the number one response was, I will be too honest. And for me, that's just totally wild. I feel like that's that that was really surprising for me to hear. So I'm, I'm curious, in your opinion, what does this say about how people feel about their own sexuality, as well as their perception of kind of the sexuality of others. Yeah, it's it was totally wild, honestly, for me to see and heartbreaking, honestly. And I think it comes from a lot of places and you can point a figure at porn or point a figure or whatever. But honestly, I think the it starts on a playground, right? Mm-hmm. It starts as a little kid on a playground where you learn the lesson really quickly that if you're the kid who gets curious and excited and wants to learn more when someone has a sex story, other kids might point and laugh at you or call you a pervert or call you weird. But if you lean back and say, I don't want that, then nobody will ever judge you. You will be safe. And we get taught that so early that most of us have this instinctive Every time someone talks about sex that I don't understand or I'm not sure of or I don't know or I feel uncertain about, I'm going to lean back. I'm going to retract. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to respond with disgust or with reserve or with judgment because that is a safe response. The problem is, is that then you end up in situations where maybe a partner says something to you and you react instinctively and they feel really judged or they feel, and then they get the message, oh, this isn't a safe space. Or I, or they've got the message from all their partners in the past that talking about my sexuality is going to get me judged or it's going to get me called a pervert or it's going to, and we don't have a lot of spaces in which we model people being honest about their sexuality and just presenting it as themselves. I think It gets echoed and echoed and echoed in porn in the ways that while there are these pockets of like the most extreme behaviors, 
there also is a very specific gaze that everything kind of flows through. And it says, here are the top 10 things that you should want in sex. And when I think about it, I had someone the other day tell me trying to learn sex from porn is trying to learn driving from Fast and the Furious. Like, it's just <laughs> not amazing. an appropriate response. And I was like, yeah, yeah that's, a really good, that's a really good analogy. But how do we... Dem show people that honesty in sexuality is something that can be welcomed and rewarded. And for me, with Amorous, a big part of our sexy conversation starters are how do we help you practice having conversations around sex that go well? I can't guarantee that every conversation you have with your partner is going to go well, but having sexy conversation starters like what smell turns you on or what's the most erotic thing you've ever worn or what's a song that you always want at the top of your sexy playlist there have that conversation move on to the next have that mutual back and forth of oh hey i had this conversation and my partner responded positively he put that on our playlist next week or you know we went shopping for lingerie together or whatever that is and then you're comfortable with the next conversation and the next and the next but how do we help people practice and model that behavior with each other I mean, that's the sort of serious educator version of, hey, I want you all to talk about sex and be delicious <laughs> and have fun. <laughs> it's uh, it's so interesting for me to hear you say these things because sex really is such a taboo topic. It's one of those things that people don't really talk about it at the dinner table. Obviously, I think that makes people uncomfortable. Even just thinking about the people that you know, even if they're friends, I know people get really weird about talking about sex with family and, and people like that. But it's just so funny because if you don't see that modeled and the only place you see it modeled is in places that it's really inappropriate uh, or things that don't you know, sit mm -hmm. well with you, it's easy to feel weird or othered or uncomfortable about it. And so I think one of the only places people really have the space to talk about those things is in therapy because it feels like a safe, non-judgmental space. And so I'm, I'm curious yeah. when you're thinking about how you encourage people to start beginning to have these conversations, there's almost a little bit of like, I want to say like a Puritan vibe that people have around talking about sex. And mm -hmm. so I'm like totally obsessed with this concept of like, how do you encourage couples to talk about it? Especially, I think this is helpful to start a new relationship, but especially as I'm thinking about relationships, once they're out of the lust phase and they're in that long-term loving phase with each other, things can get into a routine. You can kind of feel like, oh, I already know a lot about my partner or, you know, we never talked about it while we were in the lust phase. And so now it just feels weird to talk about it. And so I'm curious, how do you think about kind of creating those sorts of spaces, especially for people who might be in, you know, a little further down the line and they're dating with somebody, um, you know, to kind of keep it sexy, keep it fun, keep it light. You know, how do you dip your toes in the water? Because I think about answering the question of, um, you know, like what's a smell that turns you on? And immediately my response is like, oh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't even know how to think about that. So how do you, how do you think about that? I'm curious. Well, I think part of it is presenting a new space. That's one of the wonderful things about amorous as an app or you know about a date in a box that comes to your house that you send away for or a game like we are not really strangers that's about you know values and talking about how do you engage in relationship it gives you a new context in which to ask new questions you know 
we have people who use Amaris for chatting back and forth because they're a long distance couple. I was talking to someone the other day who was like, actually, we've never really messaged on your app, but we find the games really fun. So we just sat on the couch and like push the chat sparks button and talk about what all the questions that get asked with each other. Like we just, but, but again, it's the asking of that question. You, you don't have to have an answer for what smell turns you on, but now you're thinking about it. Maybe now you're like in the CVS walking down the aisle and going, oh, interesting. Here's a new way for me to think about my sensuality, my pleasure. Let me, and then maybe there's a different question that you have with your partner. I think, again, it's this one, we all like to have routines and routines make it easier to think. So if you have a routine, you don't have to think about something. If you have a habit, you don't have to think about it and it frees up space to think about other stuff. But also we sometimes when we move out of the lust phase, we sort of feel like we're not allowed to go back in it, that, you know, we've established our patterns and now we can't break them because then it would be strange. Like we we have a pattern. Why would we change it? And so I think sometimes changing the context you know, this is why you like go on a sexy weekend away because you're in a new context and you can have new conversations that aren't the conversations that you're supposed to. And I've air quotes happening here, have in your bedroom, right? We've gotten in the rhythm of in bedroom. We have these conversations and not those. So maybe if we go to a hotel room in Fiji, well, we don't have a habit of what we talk about in hotel rooms in Fiji. <laughs> so we can have new conversations. And so I think Something like, and that's a huge part of why Amorous was designed, is how do we use games and fun and play to help introduce novelty and spontaneity again and ask new questions and give you new ways to interact with each other. So a question for you, since we've sort of talked a little bit about how to start broaching these conversations with our partners, if we're interested in having them, but going back to what you had mentioned earlier about why, you know, people might feel anxious about having these conversations to begin with, a lot of that is internal. Um, and even if we're really comfortable with someone, and we know them very well, and we feel very intimate with them, um, we can sometimes struggle to get over some of those uh, internal hangups. And I'm wondering if you mm -hmm. have any advice on how we can work through that. I know therapy obviously is one of those. Um, but if there's anything that folks can start doing on their own to start um, feeling more comfortable broaching those raw conversations about sex and kind of, you know, yeah. all, all of those other delicious things. So I would give a few pieces of advice. One, I would say start with yourself. Start. I mean, I'm a really big fan that part of getting comfortable with anything is practice, right? It's practice, practice, practice. So do you, can you journal about what's sexy to you? Can you write yourself your own little voice note or, or talk yourself a voice note or write something on your phone, but practice the act of talking about your own pleasure to yourself. What is exciting to you? What's sexy to you? What take, makes you hot? Um, also, and in part and parcel of that is exploring your own pleasure and sexuality. You know, I think a lot of us aren't always sure what it is that's really exciting. And so it's really hard to articulate to someone else if you don't know yourself. So going on some thinking about how do I like touch or what thoughts arouse me? 
And so then you have a context for, okay, that's a thing that I know that I want. And then I can share that want with my partner. But so I would say understanding yourself and your own pleasure. And of course, these are evolving things. One never mm-hmm. knows everything about oneself. <laughs> like we we are creatures that constantly evolve, but understanding some of what your own pleasure is and getting better at that and then t- practicing writing it. Another way to practice is dirty talk. A mm-hmm. little, you know, even the littlest bit of whether it's nonverbal, oh, I, or like, that's really hot. Or I loved it when you did that. A little bit of practice in the bedroom. The Most of the time, I, I, I don't want to give 100% guarantee, but most of the time expressing to a partner that you want something or that you would need something is a really good way to get it. And that positive feedback, oh, I love it when you give me a back massage and then I got a back massage, makes it like, oh, great. <laughs> now let me ask for something else. How about you kiss my neck? How about you run your fingers through my hair? How about you massage my feet? practicing and having that back and forth and that positive feedback that the point is not that we should become extraordinary erotic fiction writers overnight together the point is that we start doing a little delicious thing and then once that's delicious we do a little bit more and a little bit more and find the things that you like and the things that you don't and pursue them so i'd say start small is also a lot of that comes together in start small. This, I am so fascinated because I feel for a lot of people, and I'm sure I'm not alone in thinking this, view intimacy, even when you're with someone for such a long time, view intimacy, especially when you're talking about like sexual or sensual intimacy, as a performance. And the fact that you're saying Mm. practice, I think that that's a really important distinction because a lot of people probably don't view any type of sexual encounter with somebody or even a sensual encounter with somebody as, you know, a practice or a repetition or training or, you know, things like that. It's essentially a muscle that you have to build. And I think that there can be a lot of fear. And I just, I'm now making this connection as you're talking that it's wild to me that sex feels so performative. Like, and I'm just going to talk specifically about Mm sex, um, that sex can feel so performative and it feels like, you know, oh, this is the final act. Even if you've had sex with this person, you know, a hundred times before, I I feel a lot of us have that, you know, it's that stage fright and these fears that really come up because we're not necessarily Mm -hmm. viewing it as a a form of practice or training or uh, cooperative participation (laughs) to try to build something together. I mean, it really, like, it's a skill like any other. And If you want to be good at cooking, you don't sort of watch, you know, Nigella, Nigella or someone and be like, oh, I have to show up in the kitchen and be her. And if I don't, I clearly must not know how to cook. And I've never like I shouldn't start anymore. I shouldn't try anymore. You know, we don't walk out onto a tennis court and say, if I can't be Andre Agassi today, then clearly I'm not gifted in this and I should not try ever. But we somehow do that in sexuality a lot. We show up and think that if I'm not a porn star on day one, clearly my sex is wrong or my intimacy and my pleasure is something that I'm just bad at. Whereas in our, like even in just talking to our partner, that's a thing that we get better at. That's the process of being in a relationship for years is getting better at being with a person and gaining skills, gaining skills in a kitchen. You gain skills in a bedroom and those skills can be 
you know, exactly how you move your fingers and your tongue in a certain way. But those skills can also be how do you communicate your desires and skills around how do you understand your pleasure and how do you understand the ways and the hows and the wherefores of what turns you on and the ways and the wheres and the howfores of like what turns you off. You know, I think another big part of this is exploring where are the things that turn me down like what what, what's that what turns the dial down because sometimes avoiding what turns the dial down is as important or more important as understanding what turns the dial up right if I don't feel safe in this space or if I feel like I'm being rushed for time that always makes me lose my libido okay Mm. great then it's really silly for your partner to be constantly approaching you at 7.45 in the morning and then you <laughs> reject them and then they don't understand why they're always being rejected. But if you guys can explore together, oh, hey, you know, this, like feeling like my alarm clock's going to go off is something that's really bad for me. Like for some people that might be like, oh, this is so cool. We have to do a quickie and this is really exciting. But for other people, it's like absolutely not. So it's like, hey, stop asking at 7.45 a.m. on Tuesdays, but let's absolutely plan for like 7 p.m. and the rest of the night on Saturday. Yeah. That that can make a huge difference. But that's the kind of thing that you don't walk into a relationship knowing. Yeah. You work at it. That's a skill. Like learning that is a is part of the skill of intimacy. Yeah. And I also kind of diving a little bit deeper into that. One of the things that I know makes people, uh, not everybody, but a lot of people I think feel uncomfortable with sexy talk is because I think there's a twofold fear. There's a fear that they're going to wind up saying something that's embarrassing or saying the wrong thing. Uh, and so there's that kind of, I, I feel self-rejection, right? Where, oh, what if I say the wrong thing? Or I think I'm saying something sexy and it comes out really unsexy. And then this person responds in a way that's a little repulsive. And now I feel bad. Or what if I say something that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm saying it to the other person. And then now they, um, they have some rejection sensitivity because of it. Like, let's say you're trying to encourage somebody to do more of something that you really like. And what if they end up, you know, interpreting that not as, um, you know, what if they interpret that as criticism mm-hmm. and now you've kind of shut them down? So I'm curious, yeah. what advice do you have for listeners when it comes to overcoming those sorts of fears, you know, if that's something that they want to, and embracing this yeah. sort of like delicious, intimate chat that Amaris helps facilitate? I have two strategies for that that I would point to. Love it. Strategy one is embrace the awkward. Tell someone you're bad at something. Because when you tell them you're bad at it, you have removed all standards of being good at it. Then if you do something that's really crazy hot, like, woohoo, beginner's luck, you're a genius. Um, So I'm a really big fan of being like, hey, I might be really bad at this, but like, I think it'd be fun to do. It allows you, I mean, play, one of the things that I think is beautiful about play and just no matter what age or when, is that play allows us to fail, right? When we're playing a video game, we're going to like run in and get killed by the bronchosaur a billion times. And then it's just going to respawn us. And then we're going to go and be like, okay, now I'm going to figure out a new strategy to kill my bronchosaur or whatever that is. And failing is just part of the process of getting to the win. And so I think if you embrace that, and one of the ways I love to embrace that is being like, hey, I might be super awkward at this. And if I am, like, all right, we'll figure it out, you know, or I have been known in my sexting, like with a long pause to sometimes text my partner and be like, um, so that was a boner killer, question mark, question mark, question mark. Um, you know, just embrace the like, oh, I might have effed that up. But like, that isn't the cost of that is just stopping and restarting. 
And if that's, and I think the other, your partner is almost always having a lot of those similar fears. And so if you can establish, we are both allowed to be bad here. And the cost of failure is going to be that we have to try again and no more than that. You set a baseline where both people are excited to try and to be there and to, to move forward. The other big strategy is ask questions. I think we do sometimes have this idea that we should know all and be great at all before we start. And in fact, that can be counterproductive because sexy talk, intimacy, it is all about connection with the other person. It is all about engaging with the other person, being responsive to the other person. So if you know everything to do in advance, what that means is you are not paying attention to your partner because you're, it will be different with whoever that partner is. And so if you're not in that moment with them, then you're running your own script, which is not actually really delicious engagement with your partner. And so if you're asking questions is the most perfect way I have ever found to engage with your partner. You know, it's when you ask someone a question, it says, I am interested in your opinion. I see you here. I want to be here with you. I want you to tell me a thing. So that can be everything from, I had a really sexy dream. Do you want to hear me tell you about it? Or, hey, I know, you know, that back massage last week seemed to go really well. Could we do that again? Or, you know, you said that you really loved those clothes that I wore. What if I bought something new like that? Or you told me that you like being touched on your neck. Where on your neck do you like to be touched? If you don't know what to say, ask a question based on the thing that they told you. Because that will always come back to, I see you, what you are saying is important to me. And it models the behavior that hopefully they will then demonstrate towards you. I just, I want to call out one thing. Well, you said a bunch of really valuable things. But one thing that you said in there that really hit home for me and is something that I, I feel like I need to remind myself both in romantic context, but also just life in general, is that your partner probably feels the same way. And I feel like we go through life thinking like, oh, we're so anxious. We're worried about what we look. We're worried about the things we say in meetings. We look at ourselves in the Zoom camera and you know, wonder, are we, do we look okay? What do we look like when we're doing this particular thing? But everyone else is doing the same thing. They're not looking at you. They're, not, they're anxious mm -hmm. about what they are, have to say in the meeting and how they look. And so if we get, can just take a step back and remind ourselves, I don't really need to be all that anxious because people aren't focused on me. They're focused on themselves and not that, that, that they should be, but it just, I think can help us let go of some of these anxieties. And I think in the context of relationships and kind of having these conversations, just remembering that your partner probably also isn't sure how to broach these conversations. And they're also probably exploring it um, for the first time. Mm -hmm. And certainly they're doing it for the first time with you if you haven't done it yet. And so it can be something that you do together. And, you know, I think it can be really freeing to realize, realize that. Um, and, you know, yeah, at that point, there, there's no wrong. There's really just kind of exploring forward. So I just wanted to call that yeah. out because I thought that was a really kind of really resonant reminder or, or something that really resonated yeah. with me. And I would also just say baby steps, you know, small mm -hmm. steps. It, oh, again, it's so You shouldn't just start talking about butt plugs in your first... No, can I? <laughs> I mean, you can if that's you your vibe, but I don't. I, I don't want to like yuck anyone's yum. Did but... I just make this not safe for work, Laura? I'm sorry. 
Um, but I, I you know, yeah, like start, start little, be like, I, you know, let me tell you about this smell that I love, or let me tell you about this, you know, this experience that I had, like being out sun tanning and the sun felt so good against my skin or, you know, you, it doesn't have to be full on all the time and just share pleasure, see mm-hmm. how that works, mm-hmm. respond to your partner, see them, acknowledge them. That's the thing that this is about is the two people really engaging with each other mm-hmm. and then work your seduce and tease and flirt and work your way to whatever conversation you want to have next. Yeah. I, I really want to amplify something you said earlier as well that really resonated with me and is a strategy. I, I've, I think maybe heard it in passing, but had never thought to implement it in my own life. And I think it's really applicable, not just in romantic relationships, but really in any relationship where if you're having a conversation with somebody and things are going in a direction that you don't really intend them to, being willing to stop the conversation, check in and say, hey, this isn't going where I intended it to or where I think either of us want it to go. Let's restart. And I I love Mm -hmm. that you said, especially making it playful, especially for the bedroom where It's not just something's going to get awkward or weird and we're just going to stop immediately and now we're left on this kind of sour note, but we're going to challenge ourselves to try again. And that's the condition is that we do try again. And I think that that's such a beautiful way to explore relationships because I think that also helps people put on that that training mindset, that learning mindset, that I'm here with you right now mindset. We're learning this together. I care about Mm -hmm. you. I care about where this is going. And I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to start trying to do that more often just in my general life, in my personal life as well, because I really think that that could be so effective and just like having, giving us more space to just be people. It's like the Mm -hmm. video game. I want the reset button. (laughs) And and I think that we, you know, this is, I think, part and parcel of a really sex negative society, Mm -hmm. but we spend so much time telling people that the stakes are everything. Like if you mess it up in, you know, you say the wrong thing, they'll hate you forever. Mm -hmm. And listen, be a good actor in the world. As Dan Savage says, be good giving in game. But if you are in a good relationship like the stakes don't have to be everything and part of the i think a really useful thing is to just s- start with there start with like i want to play with you and i don't know where we're going to go and i don't know how it's going to go and it's probably going to get awkward and it's probably going to get weird and then we're going to like figure out what that was and was that a good weird or was that a bad weird or like i don't know but let's like that's a weird that maybe we'll just put down and come back to in a little while okay cool cool yeah. but giving giving yourselves the grace and the freedom and the space to play, including to fail, including to wander off in a direction that you didn't intend and having everybody have a sense that this is not an all or nothing game, right? When, when one failure destroys everything, then that's a system in which the safest way to play that game is to not play it at all right Mm -hmm. like if if the smallest misstep is a full break of the system then you just don't want to play but if the smallest misstep is just a chance to learn better and climb higher on this great big mountain of fun and sexy play then you absolutely want to be in this game because there's that mountain and you could get to the top of it right it's so yeah giving people a sense that there's space to make mistakes I think is a really valuable part of 
of getting into intimacy and having intimacy work for both partners. Yeah. So speaking of partners and dates, we would yes. like to transition. Let's talk about Patrick and M's date. So yeah. curious, what were your initial thoughts on Patrick and M's communication during their blink date? So I thought, so my, my first thought was like, that was a pretty decent date. I was, I was impressed, you know, they kept going. Like there wasn't a lot of really awkward pauses or kind of falls in the conversation where you were just like, oh, I can, someone wants to leave now, but doesn't know how. Um, so I thought it was a pretty good date. I, uh, I definitely thought they jumped topics a little bit, but they always kept moving, which was really good. Were there any areas where you think their communication could have been improved? I think that I noticed that Patrick, I think, was a much more of an open person and M seemed a little bit more reticent, you know, mm -hmm. a little bit more like, you know, she hadn't, it sort of like got late in the conversation where she revealed that where she lived and that wasn't what they thought, you know, that she, I mean, even honestly from their names, like you have Patrick and you have M, like she just seemed a little bit, you know, where my family comes from. It was all a little bit more reticent. And I think that's, that could be personality difference, but it's certainly, I noticed the slight difference in the energy. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, she was there and like asking Patrick questions. And so it definitely wasn't that she wasn't interested entirely. And mm -hmm. I think that's just a decision process for someone about where they, how much they feel like disclosing private details when in the process. Do you have any advice that you might give them on how to keep the momentum going if they matched and eventually met in person? I mean, I think that it would be, I would love to see that have seen them deeper dive on something. Mm -hmm. And I think that for me is a real sign of like sparky engagement is when it's not only, oh, we can talk about this topic, but like, an hour just went by and we're still talking about this thing and it's a process of dating of finding those things that get you both really excited but I did and this is normal for a first date but I uh, first conversation but I did notice that it was like a little bit of conversation about one thing and then it was jumping over to a new topic and jumping over to a new topic and jumping over to a new topic mm -hmm. and I think in terms of dating and interaction you want to find those places where you can keep talking about something for a while, not to the exclusion of absolutely everything else, but that you keep asking the other person more about that thing and you, you go deeper in and you share more experiences. I mean, every time you switch topics, it's a little like, okay, I don't want to hear anything more about that from you. Right. You know, it's... and it, it's a very subtle signal, but it is there. It's definitely like, a, I think, going to what you were saying, like getting more depth. So, you know, you're staying on the surface of each topic instead of digging deeper on each one. So I can definitely see how, and, and in first dates, like you said, it, it's fairly normal um, because you're, you're meeting this person for the first time, you, you know, you're figuring out how, how comfortable you feel opening up to them. Um, and so it can be really easy to stay on that, that surface level of, of topics rather than digging deeper. And you, yeah. you just have to find it, right? Like there's a million topics in the world. And so you've <laughs> got to kind of shuffle through a whole bunch of them before you find the one where both of you overlap with a passion on that. Um, and so you, you know, you, you skim a bit, but then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, 
we're actually both interested in, you know, 1950s contemporary furniture, like, you know, modern furniture, <laughs> like, okay, now let's deep dive. Like, but it took us a little while to figure out that thing that we right. both got really interested in. Right. Yeah. And I, I think also too, the, the context really matters for that initial conversation because when you're doing a first date with someone and in, in this case on the podcast, they only have 10 minutes to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's something to, uh, for daters listening, if you are in kind of this speed sort of setting, I feel like it's also normal to try, or it's normal to want to speed through things to find that commonality, because generally people really want to continue the conversation, especially if they think Mm -hmm. someone is interesting, they like the sound of their voice, whatever the case may be, and they're interested in that connection. So they're like, okay, let's bam, 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 get through all these different topics as quickly as we possibly can to, to to see where that snag is so that we can go mm-hmm. deeper on that. Cause you don't want to spend the whole 10 minutes talking about something that maybe the other person's not as interested in. Absolutely. Yeah. And I always yeah. wonder if that would be something that, um, yeah, just like giving people like tips and tactics. No, I, on, you know, I will oh, say one ahead. of the things I was really impressed by is the fact that, you know, neither of them really pontificated, you know, there, I wasn't listening to a date where five minutes of it was someone <laughs> just going off, like riffing on their own topic and not letting someone get a word in edgewise. Mm-hmm. Right? They were really attentive to, I'm going to say a little bit and then see where it goes. I'm going to say a little bit and see where it goes. They were engaged in listening for the other person's interest. It really it seemed to me they were both very present. So I, I definitely had that feeling as well. Yeah. yeah. So what are some takeaways from the state that you think are worth noting when it comes to navigating the dating sphere? I would say, I think, um, having an under, like, I really liked this. I did notice the fact that there was a, there was a question about geography. I would probably, I would just have put on there, you know, might be a little practical tip is if you're looking for someone local or if you're looking for someone distant, sort of understanding where that person lives. That's, that's to on us. That's, that's on me, <laughs> human matchmaker. Um, so sometimes geography, sadly, isn't one of the things I'm able to match by, but I do my best. No, all, no, all good. All good. I was just, it was just one of those like funny things to put there, but I really loved the way they bumped around on different topics and they talked about different things. I, I think listening to them talk, it was very clear one of the things they were both passionate and excited about talking about was you know their own histories because we are but like when they were talking about you know being in Boston or being on the Charles or you know things things like that or where they'd live you know living abroad for their study program and as a tip for other daters just those kinds of sharing pieces of your history that are really exciting are something I think everybody loves to do. So it was a really good visual of like, oh yeah, I can ask someone else about, you know, do they like to travel or what's the favorite place they've been in the last few years? Because that's something that people get really excited about and leads can lead to some really shared engagements. So I have a million dollar question for you, but no real money involved. Uh, date in a blink what did you think did they match and why or why not do you think that they did or didn't oh so I think they matched I think both of them from my listening it seemed like both of them were asking questions about the other person and were engaged with the other person I would say if I'm wrong about that I felt like Patrick was more into it than like was even more eager than M was, but that would be my 
I'm going to go with they matched. So I'm sure my guess. Yeah. So I also thought that they would match. The conversation felt really easy and comfortable. Uh, and not, you know, we've, we've listened to a lot of dates and we've definitely heard ones where they didn't have that, that level of ease. And so it felt, it mm-hmm. felt like to me that they would definitely want to continue chatting and getting to know one another. So Laura, what really happened? Yeah. So you are both right. They did match. Uh, Yeah. But I, I do think that in this case, um, I know that they, they said that they wanted to match with each other, but then the conversation didn't really take off. And I, I partially feel like that might be a geography thing. It is really hard to date someone across the country, even if you had such a great conversation. That's not to mm-hmm. say we have talked to so many people who have had these kind of chance encounters with someone that lived not even just across the country, but in a different country on a different continent as themselves made it work and have been you know uh, together yeah. with someone for a very long time. So it's not to say that that distance is a deal breaker but I think that and just getting busy definitely impacted their ability to continue the conversation but it was great some of the feedback we got is that they said it was a fun and unique experience it reminded them of the Netflix show Love is Blind which we we do get a lot Mm, Um, and then also that they loved the audio format they felt it was more relaxed than they usually feel when they go on dates and it helped them uh, lower these kind of superficial barriers that people put on themselves and on others, and it allowed them to focus more on being themselves, which fills my, my heart with joy. Yes. yes, I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So as we wrap up, a question we love to ask all of our experts. Do you have any mm. words of wisdom or advice for our audience? I would say, you know, be open to who you find. I think we many a million years ago there was a dating app that had a on-staff statistician and used to do all kinds of interesting blog posts about the underlying data and they looked at what the number one thing that their couples had in common when they made couples and it was how they thought about horror movies Nuh-uh. like it wasn't oh. no, it totally was it was, <laughs> that was that was the thing that the mo- most of the most couples the thing that the most couples shared was that how they felt about horror movies. It wasn't religion. It wasn't family size. It wasn't education. It wasn't, you know what I mean? And honestly, just to be clear, it didn't matter what each partner thought about horror movies. The couple just had to have the same take. They could love them. They could hate them. They just had to share their belief in how they felt about horror movies. So now that should Um, be the, the, the litmus test as people go into dating and just ask in the first date, what do you think about horror movies? I'm kidding. That shouldn't be, but it's just, it's crazy. Yeah, for me, it's just a really, it's a clear indication that a lot of the time, I think the things that we think are important, Mm -hmm. what's your education, what kind of job do you have? How tall are you? Yeah, exactly. They're not nearly as actually important to the to being the person that we're going to want to spend years of our lives with, as we might think. So Mm -hmm. kind of being open to how you how and where you find that person and what that person looks like or has done in their life yeah just be open you never know where love is going to find you yeah you never know yeah so thank you so much for that advice and for joining us today and as our final question yeah how can our audience get connected with you 
Oh, well, you can find Amorous in the App Store. We are an iOS-only app at the moment. So, uh, yes, A-M-O-R-U-S is how you spell it. Uh, You can also find us on social media. We are at Amorous App everywhere where there are socials. And, yeah, we always love to get feedback, always love to get people's opinions. Uh, You can sign up on our website, all kinds of stuff. But, yes, A-M-O-R-U-S is us. Amorous. All right. Well, thank and you I will so put much. all of that in the show notes. Just oh, anyone, thank you. Yes. Perfect. Ease of access. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. This was wonderful. Really appreciate it. Yeah. That's all we've got for you today. Shoot us a message on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at the Blink Date or at Date in a Blink to let us know what you think. If you want to try voice for speed dating from the comfort of your home download the Blink Date app today. You can also sign up to participate in Date in a Blink by visiting our website at www.theblinkdate.com. In the meantime, thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope you enjoyed listening and look forward to talking with you again next time.